0: That song, Amazing Grace, that we were singing a second ago, or that you heard in that video, it's probably the most well-known song in the world. Probably the most well-known song that has ever been written, known countries far and wide. Did you know that 2023, this year, is the 250th anniversary of Amazing Grace? 250 years ago, it was written by a guy named John Newton in only England. It wasn't called Amazing Grace first. It had a terrible name at first, but eventually they found... Amazing Grace, and they sang it in January, 250 years ago, Amazing Grace. The guy who wrote it, John Newton, if you know his story, it's a pretty remarkable story. Great highs in the lowest of lows. I won't talk about them all today. Come back and I'll share more of his story sometime. But early as a child, as a teenager really, his dad was a merchant sea captain. And so John, unlike all of his little buddies there growing up in England, he got to travel the world with his dad on these shipping expeditions all over the world. And he would go to these far flung places. And as a young teenager, he had absolute freedom. His dad didn't have time to watch out for him. So he's growing up on the ship around these rough men. And he'll tell you, and he told all of his buddies, his life was about booze and brothels. Okay, that was the substance of his life. And he would come back to England and he would tell His buddies, his teenage buddies, the stories of the great adventures, unfettered freedom he had had on the open seas, and they were just rapturous, jealous of him. But he says, looking back on that, every time I told those stories, I exaggerated because inside I knew they felt hollow. Even though I was having these experiences, it was like something was missing, So one day this big merchant sea vessel comes into port. It's like nothing he and his buddies have ever seen. It's amazing. It's incredible. And they want to go out to see it. And so the captain comes to shore one day. He sees them just gawking over his ship. And he says, you want to go see it? And they're like, yes, we would love to go out and explore your boat. He says, come back on Sunday afternoon and I'll row you out there in the John boat. You can take a look at the boat and I'll bring you back. So John goes to church that Sunday morning because his mom makes him. He hates it, but he goes to church and the preacher's going long, which at this church never happens, never. The preacher's going long and so he is late getting to the dock to meet his friends and go with this captain out to the sea ship. And he runs to the dock as soon as that preacher finishes, finishes as fast as he can and his buddies are about halfway to the ship at that point and they wave to him and they laugh at him and he's so mad and he's cursing, but then he watches as this wave comes and topples that little John boat and all of his friends spill out into the harbor and they don't know how to swim. And one by one, he watches his closest friends drown. And it's deeply convicting to him. And he's convinced that the reason God spared his life, he was supposed to be on that boat. The reason, the only reason he can think of for why God spared his life was that he was at church and his buddies weren't. And so at that moment, he makes this promise to himself that he's never going to miss church again. He's going to pray night and day. He's going to sing all day long. Anytime the church doors are open, he's going to be there. And it lasts for about three months. You know, he swings from just dramatic pursuit of everything culture promises is awesome and good. He swings from that to religious performance. He's going to give his whole self to perfectly performing. Religion, and he finds that to be just as hollow as what he was pursuing before, and it peters out. And then he becomes aimless. His life loses all sense of meaning, and he becomes an absolute train wreck. And so it's years later, years later, after losing the sense of meaning and purpose from the failed pursuit of both those things, that he finally finds in the cross of Jesus something he was looking for. And he writes about that in that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. I want to introduce you to this Bible character. His name's Cornelius. He's in Acts chapter 10. Now, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. Cornelius is a Roman military man This is early in the church's life. Jesus has died, had been resurrected and ascended into heaven and the church is just getting its start. This is how we're introduced to Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Remember I said he's a Roman military man. Okay. He and his family were devout and God-fearing and he gave... This is what we mean by devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius has a vision from God that he is supposed to send for this guy named Peter. And Peter's gonna come and tell him something he doesn't know but needs to hear. At the same time, Peter, who's an apostle of Jesus Christ, is having his own vision. And in that vision, God's telling him that he needs to go and see this guy named Cornelius. This is a big deal Peter's a Jew, Cornelius is a Gentile. And at that time, there are strict racial, religious, ethnic boundaries between them. But Peter is sent by God to cross those boundaries and come see Cornelius. And when he meets with Cornelius, he basically preaches a sermon to him. So he's my kind of guy. And this is the climax of this sermon. This is what it boils down to. Three verses, I'm gonna tie them together at the very end of the sermon. This is the most important point in the sermon. He says this, To Cornelius. Pay attention to what he's telling Cornelius. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes. And his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay. At that moment, we read the Holy Spirit, the presence of God comes on Cornelius and everybody in his house and they're baptized. All right, go back one slide to the good news of peace, if you don't mind, if you can do that for me. Here's what I wanna show you about this. The fact that Peter preaches good news of peace to a Roman military man at this time is one of the most ironic things in all of Scripture. Cornelius has spent his whole professional life as a soldier spreading good news of peace. Okay, and you're like, how does that work? How does a soldier spread good news of peace? Well, at the time in Rome, there was about a 150 year period where Rome was known for what it called the Pax Romana. Has anybody ever heard of this, the Pax Romana? You can hear it, Pax Romana. It stands for Roman peace. The Roman peace was propaganda. The idea was, as Rome was spreading throughout the ancient world, that if you will submit to us when we're destroying you, if you'll trust what we're telling you, if you'll worship who we're making you, then you will enjoy the same peace that every other Roman citizen does. This is the good life, trust us. Uh, One scholar, there's a Cambridge ancient history for periods AD 70 to 192, which is called the Pax Romana. It really starts a little bit earlier. But there's an entry in that called the imperial peace. And one scholar says, peace is not what one finds on its pages. Okay, because this period of alleged peace is enforced by guys like Cornelius. It's a period of uprisings, revolts, persecution, and warfare that was nearly constant, and yet they said, it's peace, it's all good, trust us. Uh, Plato talks about something like this. He calls it the noble lie. Uh, In Plato's Republic, there's, what we know as the myth of metals. Has anybody ever heard of the myth of metals before? The myth of metals is that in a society where you have noble people, merchant class, and lower and working class people, that everybody is made out of a different metal and that's the reason for the class they're in. So upper class people are made out of gold. They have gold inside of them, metal. The metal of gold is inside them. Merchant class, they're made out of silver and the lower working class people are made out of iron and bronze. And so you should stay in your lane because that's what you're made out of and you can't change what you're made out of. Okay, so Socrates, he talks about the myth of metals and he just says, you know, it's one of those necessary falsehoods. One single grand lie, which will be believed by everybody. And it makes you wonder what lies we're believing like that, doesn't it? So Cornelius figures out what he's fighting for, what he's selling, the Pax Romana, isn't all it's cracked up to be. And we know this because he's one of the few guys, a Roman military man who has swung from everything culture is promising and has swung from that to devotion to the Jewish God. Isn't that fascinating? which is an indicator that what he was getting over here wasn't satisfying something. And so he swings, but notice when he swings from culture's promises, it is performance driven, isn't it? We're introduced to Cornelius and what are we introduced to him as? Somebody who gives a lot of money and prays all the time. He's a guy who checks the boxes when it comes to religious performance. And so think about this, is it a surprise that a military man, a man who's trained obediently, right? that he would swing when he realizes what culture's promising him is adding up, that he would swing to something that's performance driven. If I check all the boxes, I can earn what I'm longing for. And the fact that Peter comes and gives him good news of peace is a good indicator he has not found what he's looking for. What are we all looking for? Peace, right? Isn't it? I mean, aren't you here today? Maybe a friend invited you today. The reason you're here, let me go out on a limb and guess, is you wish in your life you had peace. But you felt okay about yourself. That life was all right. That you weren't haunted by all the things you're not and all the things you need to do, what you don't have yet, what you want. That you were at peace. And then it was deep and abiding. Isn't that what you want? And so Cornelius swings from everything culture's promising him to religious performance, and it is not cutting it. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have had to bring that message. You ever been disappointed like that? Speaking of disappointment, my son brought home this uh, homework assignment this week. This is Foster, my middle son. He had to do a writing assignment for his first grade class, and he wrote about cauliflower. Cauliflower, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read you what he wrote. I tried cauliflower and it was gross. My brother said it was white broccoli. Besides, I don't like broccoli. And we were at our neighbor's house, which is why he had to eat it. I'm never eating broccoli again. Or cauliflower. Cauliflower. <laughs> His teacher gave him a 91. Uh, there's a spelling mistake in there. And then she wrote, I love cauliflower. And I'm like, who loves cauliflower? <laughs> Nobody, buddy. It's disappointing. All right. We just need to lighten it up here. Okay, let's talk about this swing Cornelius makes. He is living in disappointment. and So Peter's coming and delivering him news that he needs about what he want most wants, what won't disappoint him. So let's look at this on the screen here. Let Kind of visualize what he does. Peter brings him good news. Let's throw this up there. Good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And I, wanna, I want you to see where, what has Cornelius swung between in his life, just like John Newton. Well, he swung between what culture has promised him will provide the peace in his life that he wants. He realizes that's not working out so good. And so he swings to intense religious performance. I'm going to check all the religious boxes, and maybe then I'm going to earn that sense of inner peace that I haven't gotten yet. And so Peter comes promising him, him, promising Cornelius, something that isn't just a middle ground between those two things, but is higher and is above it. And what we're gonna call real peace. And the reason I'm calling it real is because of that word news. You see that? Let me, in fact, let me break down each one of those words in that sentence up there at the top. Good news of peace through Jesus Christ. It's good in the sense that it's from God. We talk about this a lot here at Highland. But when God creates the world, he calls it good. Goodness is a signal that this is from God, not from us. We didn't make this happen. It's news in the sense that it's real. It's a report about something that really took place. It's not a good metaphor. It's not a good symbolism. It's not a good story. It's good what? News. Something happened. All right? And the good news is the way you can have, Cornelius, what you most want, peace. And this good news, delivering what you most want comes through one guy, and that guy is Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's what you should be asking. How is it that what happened to Jesus somehow means for me what I most want, peace in my life and in my heart? And Peter explains that in these three verses. He draws it all together, and you're gonna see how it fits. Look at this. Let me read it to you again. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay, so I'll, once you see it, you We're almost there. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ is what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. How do we get from one to the other? You see it? The cross. You with me? The cross. Now, what does that cross have to do with me? How does it accomplish my forgiveness of sins? And why do I need it? To understand that, you got to understand another question first, and that is, why is it, think about it with me, why is it that nothing the world has promised or the most perfect religious performance can give Cornelius or you and I peace in our hearts? Why is that? Years ago, around the time of John Newton, there was this preacher, famous preacher, this is a little bit later, but famous preacher named G.K. Chesterton. Anybody ever heard that name before, G.K. Chesterton, one of the greatest preachers to ever live? And he's, he's preaching in London, and at the time, that the Times of London, which was the newspaper there, ran an article one day, and the article was entitled, What's Wrong with the World? Like, it's an article that could very fairly run today in any of today's newspapers. What's wrong with the world? And then they were talking about things people were doing and catastrophes that were taking place. And so the the title of the headline was, What's Wrong with the World? And he writes a letter to the editor in response to this headline. And so each day in the letters to the editor section, there's the headline, that the letter's responding to, and then the response from the writer. And so the next day in the Times of London, there was this from G.K. Chesterton. Let's throw that up there on the screen. What's wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. Dear sir, I am. What's wrong with the world? It's one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived, and what he recognizes is, okay, our problems aren't out there Our real problem, keeping us from real peace, is right in here. That's what the Bible calls sin, sin. And let's be honest, you and I live in a world that doesn't really have a concept of sin. Uh, Sin is um, like eating chocolate. It's my little guilty pleasure. Yeah, I probably shouldn't do it. May throw on a few LBs, but it's not the end of the world, right? Right? Or sin is something those religious fundamentalists and all of their rules, it's something that they're trying to put on me to rob me of fun, stuff that they don't want me to do, but it doesn't hurt anybody. And besides, look at them, I don't wanna look like them. I don't wanna be them. Okay, so that's what sin is. It's either my guilty pleasure, or it's something crazy those religious fundamentalists put on me, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that sin, the problem in our heart is our bondage to ourselves. And how each and every day, you and I, both of us choose ourselves over God and how that ruins our lives over and over again. Scripture says that, hey, if you want deep peace, it's not out there. It's in getting what's in here fixed, taken care of. I was thinking about this. I was in the hospital visiting Miss Kathy this week and Miss Kathy Ivy is doing so much better. Praise God, and I shared that. I was just thinking about, about it when I was in the hospital with her, like you and I have a problem so deeply rooted inside that we can apply Band-Aid fixes on the outside, but we need a surgeon to come in and work it out, right? Get it out of there. And you can't do surgery on yourself. And we go through this life thinking, oh, if I go and get this, if I have this experience, if I do what the world's telling me, then I'll be at peace. Or we find out that doesn't work. And we go over here and we say, I'm gonna check all the religious boxes. I'm gonna make sure my kids are here every time the doors are open and you should. I'm gonna pray all the time and you should. I'm gonna give away all my money and you should, right? All these good things. We think that's gonna be the substance or source of my peace. And what you find is if the sin isn't treated, if you aren't forgiven of sins in here, you'll be haunted every day, making a mess of your life, ruining everything. But the good news of peace through Jesus Christ is that on the cross, he forgives us. He forgives our sins. You maybe ask yourself, well, how does that happen? That's a long story, but let me put it like this. If I look at the cross and I see a man who's perfect and never sinned hanging there, I know he doesn't deserve to be there. And if he doesn't deserve to be there, I have to ask myself, who does? Wrongs have to be made right. Wrongs have to be made right. And at the cross, Jesus makes right my wrong. And I didn't earn it. I didn't do it. I didn't buy it. I didn't perform it. He just gives it to those who believe in his name. Okay, do you know what we call this? We call this grace. We call it grace. The love of God that you don't deserve, but is the only possibility you and I have, the only shot we get at peace in this life. It's His grace. It's His grace. Years ago, C.S. Lewis, have you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Have I- He was at this conference of religious scholars and they were talking about different religions and uh, they were like Islam, Hinduism, Judaism and Christianity. And they were trying to figure out the question they were asking was what's the unique contribution of Christianity to the religions of the world and to humanity? Like what is the real difference that Christianity makes that no other religion makes? And they're thinking about this and they say, is it incarnation that, that a God would take the form of a human? And they're like, no, that shows up in other faiths. Is it resurrection? Is it the fact that somebody would be raised from the dead? And they're like, no, that actually shows up in other faiths too and they can't figure it out and they're beginning to think, well, Christianity is no different than all the other world religions and C.S. Lewis walks into the room and he says, what's all the rumpus about in here? That's the quote from him. What's the rumpus about in here? And they explain the question to him. We're trying to figure out what's the unique contribution of Christianity to the world? What makes Christianity different than everything else? And he says, oh, that's easy, it's grace. It's grace. And they start thinking about this, and they're thinking about, you know, the Buddhist Eightfold Path and the Muslim code of law and the Jewish covenant, all of these ways by which you earn the God's favor and therefore peace and your life. And they realize that's the one thing Christianity doesn't have. It's just grace. You can't earn it. It's just given freely through the cross. Your sins forgiven, peace in your life. It's just given freely. And they raise up their hands in agony and they say the guy who wrote Narnia is right. (laughs) It's amazing grace. That's what makes this faith different. That's what makes it different. And if you don't know the grace of Jesus Christ, if you don't have peace in your life, It comes by forgiveness of your sins, making right what is wrong in you. We will do that today, baptize you in the water behind me. You can declare that you believe in him and the promises. You will be forgiven and have peace. Let me pray over you, and we'll go enjoy some lunch. God, I thank you for your people today. Gathered together under the authority of your word, worshiping you, and celebrating the amazing grace we have in Christ Jesus. Would you convict someone's heart here this morning? Perhaps today will be the day they declare they believe in you and give themselves to you and your son Jesus through baptism. Let so me pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.